Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. This episode is brought to you by Podbean. Are you looking to start your own podcast? Podbean is an easy and powerful way to start podcasting. We give you all of the tools you need for a successful podcast, and there's no difficult technology to learn. Sign up today for a free Podbean account at www.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Content warning. In part two of this week's Crime File, I will be discussing sexual assault involving young children. Some listeners may find this disturbing, so listener discretion is advised. In part one of A Buried Story, I discussed the murder of Chauncey Bailey, a well-respected journalist who was ambushed and killed by a masked gunman on August 2nd, 2007. 24 hours later, 19-year-old Devondre Bassard would confess to the murder, claiming he did it to stop Chauncey from releasing a story about your black Muslim bakery. But after he was charged with murder, Bassard recanted his confession a week later. He was now claiming that the bakery's CEO, Yusuf Bey IV, had ordered him to kill Chauncey. This crime file involves so many moving parts, so let me finally tell you about how a business empire got away with some of the most heinous crimes for over 30 years. Hi, I'm your host Gigi, and this is Noir True Crime Files. Returning to the bakery in June of 2007, Devondre Broussard continued carrying out missions for Yusuf IV, but the missions had escalated to murder. Broussard alleged in his new confession that in late July, Yusuf had called him into his office and ordered him to murder Chauncey Bailey. Yusuf had discovered that Chauncey was working on a story about the bakery, and he wanted to make sure that that story did not come out. Broussard carried out the mission but after he was arrested, he claimed Yusuf pressured him into taking sole responsibility for the murder. Yusuf IV's problematic leadership style did not start with him, although he did help to continue it on. It turns out, your black Muslim bakery had a well-protected past of reprehensible business practices and immoral behavior, which all started with the founder, Yusuf Bey Sr. Born Joseph Stevens on December 21, 1935, Bay Sr. moved from his hometown of Greenville, Texas to Oakland, California in the 1950s. He converted to Islam in 1964 
and opened his first bakery shop four years later. Although the bakery was not affiliated with the Nation of Islam, its products were made in accordance with the Quran. The bakery grew to be successful, and by 1974, it was the largest organic bakery in the Bay Area. At its peak, the bakery had contracts to sell its foods in Oakland International Airport, the Oakland Coliseum, and Whole Foods grocery stores. Over the years, Bay began to establish himself as an activist and leader in the black community of Oakland and developed relationships with local politicians. These connections helped him to gain respect and also secure major donations towards community projects. Despite his seemingly upstanding reputation in the community, Bay's private life was a complete contrast to his public one. Bay could be very intimidating and would use violence to assert his dominance over his followers. Bakery employees were afraid of him and were often subjected to beatings. There were video cameras in every room to monitor conversations and activity, and bakery members were basically isolated from the outside world. Despite his abuse, Bay's moderately sized business empire consisted of loyal foot soldiers who also used force and intimidation at his request. When Devandre Bassard joined the bakery, he quickly learned that it operated as a militant pro-black group and that it even held practice meetings to teach followers boot camp style drill exercises. In 1982, Bay Sr. allegedly ordered the murder of a bakery delivery driver named Ronald Allen because he believed Allen was stealing money from him. Allen went missing and his body was found on April 12th by a landfill in Berkeley. He had been shot twice in the head. In 1994, several members of the bakery were arrested and charged for kidnapping and torturing a man with knives over a bad real estate deal. Among the members who were convicted were two of Bay's adopted sons, Nadir and Abaz Bay. Both men were sentenced to home supervision, Nadir for six months and Abaz for eight. While his followers were wreaking havoc in the community, Bay was busy unsuccessfully running for mayor of Oakland and preaching homophobic and racially charged sermons on his own TV show called True Solutions. The show aired on Soul Beat Television, the same channel Chauncey Bailey had once been an on-air interviewer. However, Bay still managed to secure a $1.1 million loan from city officials for a training program that was never established and was even praised by former Senator Don Parada in a written statement calling the bakery a, quote, inspiration to the community of Oakland. Not only was Yusuf Bay Sr. essentially running a violent gang under the guise of a religious group, but he was also a sexual predator. Accusations of Bay sexually abusing girls at the bakery dated back 20 years and had resulted in the births of several children. In June 2002, Kawana Banks, one of Bay's adopted daughters, and three other women came forward and reported Bay's abuse to the police. Kawana courageously told investigator Jim Salida about the first time Bay molested her when she was eight and how he raped her when she was 10. Kawana recalled how she was wearing a pink one-piece pajama suit the first time she was assaulted. Kawana became pregnant at 12 years old and gave birth to Bay's child when she was 13. Ultimately, she would give birth to two more children who she claimed were also fathered by Bay. In typical predator fashion, Bay threatened to kill Kawana and her whole family if she ever said anything about the abuse. 
She did try to tell people about what was going on, but her pleas for help led nowhere. When the rapes first started, Kawana turned to one of Bay's wives named Nora. Nora was 23 at the time and was Kawana's assigned guardian. She shrugged off young Kawana's accusations saying, quote, Oh girl, he's not going to do anything to you that he hasn't done to anyone else, end quote. Under Nora's watchful eye, Kawana refused to name her first child's father shortly after giving birth. Nora had also instructed her to leave Bay's name off of the child's birth certificate. Kawana did manage to tell a child protection worker that she wasn't in school and was being subjected to long working hours at the bakery. The agent said she would look into the claims, but Kawana never spoke to or saw the woman ever again. In a 2012 interview with RevealNews.org, Kawana blamed fear, a blatant hands-off approach, and most of all racism for the lack of regard for her care as a minor at the bakery. She, including other young girls, were giving birth to Bay's children at the same hospital, but nothing was being done about it. Kawana goes on in the interview to say that welfare officials didn't intervene because they believed that Bay was actually helping the community in Oakland. Kawana ran away from the bakery in 1988 and was able to take her children with her. She managed to find waitressing jobs, but money was tight and Bay was refusing to pay her child support. She eventually allowed for her two sons to return to the bakery, but her daughter mostly remained in her custody. Bay would manipulate and bribe the children in order to keep them away from Kawana. When they expressed that they wanted to see their mother, Bay would tell them that Kawana only wanted them so she could collect their welfare checks. As the years went by, Kawana earned her GED, got married, and had two more children. She maintained a good relationship with her two older sons, although they were being lured into illegal activities by this time. In 2002, Kawana finally decided to come forward about Bay and end his cycle of abuse when her 18-year-old daughter admitted that Bay had assaulted her. Kawana presented Investigator Salida with DNA tests proving that Bay had fathered her three oldest children. Bay was arrested and formally charged with 27 counts of felony sex crimes against girls under the age of 14. Unfortunately, he did not live long enough to see the inside of a courtroom. A few months before he was set to stand trial, Bay passed away from colon cancer at 67 years old. During the course of his investigation into Bay's sexual abuse, investigator Salida found other older records of complaints against Bay and interviews with individuals who had been aware that Bay was abusing women and girls at the bakery. Investigator Salida also found a link between Bay and the 1986 death of another bakery employee named Peter Kaufman. Kaufman had allegedly walked in on Bay sexually abusing a young boy and tried to stop it. He went around telling other bakery employees what he saw and that he was going to report Bay to the police. A few days later, Kaufman was found dead in his car. He'd have been shot twice in the head and once in the torso. At the time, police suspected his death was the result of a robbery gone wrong, and his case went unsolved for years. As of 2007, both Ronald Allen and Peter Kaufman's cases remain open. Oakland police justified their lack of action against Bay for his sex crimes, claiming that they quote-unquote rarely received any complaints and that when they did, witnesses would refuse to testify. 
Bay's assault victims all agreed that his good relationships with government officials helped to protect him and keep his crimes hidden. Bay's list of crimes did not stop at just rape and murder. He had been committing welfare fraud since the early 70s, which is ironic considering he had accused Kiwana Banks of trying to do the same thing. When he died, Bay left behind up to 100 wives and more than 40 children. In 2007, three of Bay's wives testified that they, as well as his other wives, fraudulently filled out applications in order to receive aid from government programs intended for needy families. Bay was able to secure the benefits because of his connections in the welfare office. Two of his sisters-in-law worked for the agency and would help to push his applications along for approval. One of the in-laws even gave Bay a heads up at one point when the agency attempted to investigate the bakery for fraud. When applying for aid, Bay's wives would leave his name off of the applications and upon approval, they would receive thousands of dollars worth of food stamps and welfare payments every month. The approved applications also provided them medical insurance and housing vouchers, despite the fact that Bay already owned several homes. In total, Bay was able to collect up to $1 million in benefits, with the majority of the money going towards keeping up appearances of the bakery and himself. Bay was always dressed in nice clothes and owned expensive cars, but he barely paid the bakery employees and the bakery was being ran under terrible conditions. In December 2006, the bakery received four major health code violations for being, quote, dangerously unsanitary and was threatened with immediate shutdown if conditions did not improve. However, there were never any follow-up inspections recorded by the Alameda County Environmental Health Department and the bakery remained open for business. Bay collected benefits for his children, including the ones who were products of rape and also children he had taken in. The parents of the abandoned children would sign away their parental rights and Bay would have welfare paperwork filed on them soon after. Kawana Banks and her siblings were some of those children. Kawana and two other assault victims filed a civil suit against Alameda County for $16 million, claiming the county's social services agency was negligent in protecting them from Bay's abuse. The county settled with the victims but did not admit fault, and the women were awarded $50,000 each, as well as $35,000 for lawyers' fees. Although she was disappointed that Bay never stood trial for what he did to her, Kawana Banks told Revealed News, quote, By the grace of Jesus, I know he's boiling in hell. Yusuf Bey Sr. left behind a tarnished legacy, and soon after his death, his business empire began to see a rapid and chaotic change in leadership. Bey's hand-selected predecessor, Wajid Al-Jawad, had only been in charge for five months before he went missing in February of 2004. In July, Al-Jawad's body was found in Oakland Hills, bound in waterproof cloth and electrical tape. After Al-Jawad's disappearance, the businesses were then taken over by Antar Bey, one of Bey Sr.'s biological sons. Antar had pushed out his father's wives and his other siblings in order to gain control. 
as CEO, Antar caused the bakery to go into debt when he defaulted on $700,000 in loans that were meant to go towards back taxes and other debts. A year later, in October 2005, Antar was killed in a random carjacking and his younger brother, Yusuf IV, took over as CEO of the bakery. Although a man named Alfonso Phillips was arrested and convicted for Antar's death, there were rumors that Yusuf had Wajid Aljawad and Antar killed in order to claim his position as CEO. If you remember, in part one, Yusuf IV had Devondre Broussard murder Philip's uncle, Oldell Roberson, in retaliation for his brother's murder. I'll leave it up to you guys to theorize whether these rumors have truth to them or not. Yusuf IV was 19 when he took his brother's place as head of the bakery. Despite the bakery's serious financial issues, Yusuf's main concern seemed to be continuing his father's tradition of violence and fraud. Shortly after he took over, bakery followers were caught on surveillance video vandalizing two Muslim-owned liquor stores. Yusuf had allegedly given the order to destroy the stores because the owners weren't, quote, acting like true Muslims by selling alcohol to members of the community. Sometime later, Yusuf and another bakery associate were caught fraudulently financing and purchasing luxury cars using fake IDs. Yusuf also purchased five homes in the East Bay area using those same fake IDs. Between January 2006 and January of 2007, Yusuf was arrested for fraud, shoplifting, gun possession, and attempted murder, but was granted bail. In May 2007, Yusuf committed another crime that ultimately was the beginning of the end for your black Muslim bakery. Yusuf and a few of his followers kidnapped two women, a mother and her daughter, who Yusuf believed knew the location of where a local drug dealer was hiding his money. The men took the victims to an abandoned house in East Oakland, where they recovered their faces with plastic bags and beat them with a baseball bat. Police were surveilling the area and mistook the two cars parked outside the abandoned house as some of their own, which alerted the group and they fled the scene. The gang left the cars behind, and a cell phone was discovered inside the house. The women were rescued, but could not identify their attackers since they were wearing face masks during the kidnapping. Thankfully, police were able to link the cell phone back to the bakery and officially launch their investigation. Search warrants for the bakery and other properties associated with it were issued on July 31st, but the date of the raid was pushed back to August 3rd. Oakland PD received valid criticism from the community about this, especially after it was reported that the raid was delayed because two senior-level SWAT commanders were away on a backpacking trip. In their defense, Oakland PD claimed that the raid was pushed back because they were waiting on the results of cell phone records, DNA samples, the processing of the abandoned cars, and the house where the women were held. Oakland PD also noted that they had a backlog of 1,200 cases as well as new cases that they were currently working on at the time of the kidnapping investigation. However you look at it, there may have been a chance that if the police had acted sooner, Chauncey Bailey may still be alive. When Yusuf was arrested on August 3rd, he was initially booked on an outstanding warrant from a 2006 assault case. 
He had allegedly tried to run over three security guards at a strip club after an argument and proceeded to blow off his court dates after he had been arrested and made bail. The other men besides Devondre Brassard who were arrested during the raid included 20-year-old Joshua Bay, 20-year-old Yusuf Bay V, and 21-year-old Taman Halfin. The three men were arrested for their own outstanding warrants, but after they confessed to their involvement in the kidnapping, they were all charged and held without bail. With Yusuf and his crew in jail on their various charges, it seems like justice for Chauncey Bailey was soon to follow. Except even more lies, corruption, and overall shady behavior would be exposed in this ongoing fight for justice. Thank you for joining me on part two of this episode of Noir True Crime Files. This episode was researched, written, and edited by me. I found the majority of my research from the Chauncey Bailey Project, the San Francisco Gate, and the East Bay Times. I will link those sources in the show notes, but I did have trouble last week fitting in the two major sources that I used for part one, so if I had the same issue this week, I'll make sure to post these sources on Twitter. Speaking of social media, please be sure to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at NTCF Podcasts and share your opinions and overall thoughts about this case. NTCF Podcasts is available on all major streaming platforms such as Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Join me next week for the third and final part to a buried story. Until then, goodbye for now. This episode is brought to you by Podbean Live. Podbean Livestream is a unique platform for turning your podcast production into a live show. It's open to any podcaster on any hosting site. Easily invite multiple co-hosts and guests to join your live stream. Earn money from live show ticket sales and get listener rewards and engage your audience in new and exciting ways. Ready to get started? Sign up today at www.podbean.com slash live. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash live. New year, new gear. Get to Old Navy Saturday. Women's Elevate compression leggings are just 12 bucks. Just 10 bucks for girls. Plus, men's active pants are 12 bucks. Just 10 bucks for boys. Saturday only at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1-4, select styles only.